Yeah, gonna mess around and have church. <laughs> Good stuff. It's refreshing to be in the presence of God with the people of God. Been so good this morning already. It seems to me that the theme of that worship service was the faithfulness of God. How many of you can testify to the fact this morning that God is faithful? How many of you know that God is not a fair weather friend? He, he don't. He's not just with you in the in the good times. He's certainly with you then, but he's with you at all times. He's with you on the mountain, yes, but he's certainly the God of the valley. And we all go through those valley experiences. We all go through those trying times in our life. But I'm thankful God is faithful. Let me tell you something else. I'm thankful that the faithfulness of God does not depend upon my performance. Because I'll be honest, folks, I fail him daily. He's never failed me, but I failed him continually. And I'm so thankful for grace and for mercy that is new every morning. And I'm thankful that even though I fail him, he's made a promise to keep his word. And, uh, and we can trust in that. Thank you so much, brother. Good job today as always. Take your Bibles. Turn with, turn with me, please, to one of my favorite passages of Scripture. It's John chapter number 5. We're going to be looking at this morning in, in just a little bit. We'll start there in verse number 1. Uh, but keep your place there. And I'm going to turn over to 1 John chapter number 1 and verse number 1. Brothers, if you will, please put that verse up on the screen this morning. You keep your place in John 5. We'll be back there shortly. But I want you to listen to what the Bible says in 1 John chapter number 1. Now, we know that John the Apostle wrote the Gospel of John that we've been studying on Sunday mornings for the last three or four weeks in looking at the miracles that he recorded that Jesus did during his earthly ministry. But John also wrote 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. It's the same one. And these are the epistles or the letters to the church. He wrote these at the end of his ministry. And I want you to see what John tells us right here in this first verse. He says, That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon, and our hands have handled of the word of life. Everybody see that? Let me tell you what John, John tells us three things. He says, first of all, I've heard what Jesus said. That which was from the beginning, God who became man, God incarnate in the flesh, the Lord Jesus, the Son of God and God the Son. That's who he's talking about. That, that's who's from the beginning, which he's heard him with his ears, he said. I've seen him with my eyes and I've touched him with my hands. I've heard what he said, I saw what he did, and I was there when it took place, when it happened. I could handle the very word of life. See, what we have with the writings of John is eyewitness testimony as to who Jesus is and what he did while he walked upon this earth. What we have in John that we've been studying, these miracles that we've been talking about for the last uh, three or four weeks now, these are eyewitness accounts while John was sitting there and Jesus was doing the work. Now let me say something to you folks. That's very, very important. Let me tell you why. Go to, go to John chapter 20 with me. And, and again, you can keep your place, but I'm going to turn. John chapter 20, verse number 30. Listen how he puts it here. 
He said at the end of the Gospel of John, he says it like this, And many other signs truly did Jesus in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. So he calls them signs, right? There's many other signs that point to who Jesus is. That's why he did the miracles, so that everybody might realize who he truly was and is today. Amen? See, we'll, if we see what Jesus does, that'll tell us who he is. That's what John's talking about. Look at the last verse, verse 31. But these are written for this purpose, that ye might believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, and that by believing you might have life through his name. So John says, there's a lot of stuff Jesus did I didn't put in my gospel. But what I have put there, I put for the purpose so that you might believe Jesus is the Son of God. And by believing that fact, you might have eternal life through his name. Isn't that amazing? This is the purpose of his eyewitness account of the ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, you say, well, Brother Israel, if that's true, if, if uh, we find out who Jesus is by seeing what he did, well, so what's he done? Well, we've looked at a lot of them, haven't we? We certainly saw that Jesus is able to raise up dead people. Can you say amen? You remember John chapter 11, Lazarus had been in the grave for four days. And Jesus walks up on the scene, tells him to roll away the stone, and he speaks to Lazarus, and Lazarus comes forth from the grave, walking in the newness of life. Amen? So he's able to raise dead people, and we said, that means Jesus is the answer for man's death. And I'm so glad of that, because I know, apart from Christ, I was spiritually dead in trespasses and sins. But by the power of God, because of God's grace, shown to me through the person of the Lord Jesus Christ, I can be born again, I can be saved, I can have eternal life. He's the answer for man's death, but let me tell you something else. He's also uh, the answer for man's disappointment. We found out in John chapter 2 that Jesus is able to turn water into wine. How many of you know you need grapes to make wine? And you got to go through a process. takes a lot of time to make wine, to make good wine. But guess what? Jesus told him to fill up some water pots. And by his power, instantly, without the grapes, turned the water into wine. Now, how is that possible? It's only possible if Jesus is God. And that's the message. That's what the sign is pointing to. How can Jesus raise up dead people? That's only possible if he is God. See, that's only stuff God can do. So what John is telling us, I saw it with my eyes. I heard it with my ears. I was there when it happened. I handled the very word of life. I saw him do these things. And I'm telling everybody else what I saw so that you might believe. I witness testimony. Brother Scott, let me ask you something. If you're going to have a witness, don't you want an eyewitness? If, you, if somebody's going to uh, be a witness to an event, whatever is in question, I want somebody who saw it firsthand. Well, that's what you have with John. I saw it. I heard it. I was there close enough to touch him. That's what he's telling you. So Jesus is the answer to man's death. He's the answer to man's disappointment. We found out then that in John chapter 6, Jesus fed uh, thousands of people with just a little boy's lunch. 
He's the answer to man's desire. Let me, let me say something right there too before we go any further. You need to understand and know. Some of you may be here this morning and you think, Brother Israel, I want to be used to the Lord, but I just ain't got much to give. I mean, I can't do this and I can't do that and I can't do this over here like this person does it. Let me tell you something. God is not worried about what you can't do. God's worried about what you can do. And if you'll take that little bit that you have and put it in the hands of Jesus, He'll do more with it than you ever could. That's what happened in John chapter 6. He said, well, Lord, all we got is this little boy's lunch, but what is it among so many? <laughs> but when you put it in the hands of the master, that which seems small and insignificant can be multiplied by his power to bless everybody. And if he can do it for that little boy, he can do it for me. And he can do it for you. But we've got to be willing to put what we have in his hand. He's the answer for man's desire. We found out last week he's the answer for man's doubt when he healed the nobleman's son. You remember that in John chapter number 4. Just by a spoken word, he healed um, the little boy that his father came to and told him about. And what a powerful thing that is. And, and, and folks, uh, you, you know, I, I agree with something Dr. Uh, J. Vernon McGee once said. He said, Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. He, always, he said that all the time. I, how many of you can, can, knows where he's coming from with that? I believe, but God, help me when my faith is not what it's supposed to be. I think we can all look back in our lives at certain times and think, man, I, I, I just don't know about this and I don't know about that and I don't know about this over here, but, but Lord, I want to know and, 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 and I can testify to the fact that when you want to know, God's ready to show you. Are you hearing me? I love Dr. Adrian Rogers. He said something years ago that I've never forgotten. He said, there's hope for the honest doubter. I mean, if you are honest about your doubts, it's okay to have doubts. It really is. God's big enough for your doubts. But let me say something. You've got to be honest about your doubts. You've got to be objective about your doubts. You can't be subjective, but objective. You've got to take all of what you know and really honestly look at it. And I promise you, if you do that, you'll find what you're seeking. That's why Jesus said, seek and ye shall ask and it shall be knock and the door will be open. See, he's not hiding from us. That's the good news. The God of heaven, the God of all creation, the God from the beginning that John was speaking about in 1 John chapter 1, verse 1. He's not hiding from us and he says, if you want to know, seek, ask, knock. <laughs> Amen. So there's hope for the honest doubter. Now, if you're not going to be honest about your doubts, you ain't going to get to where you need to get. You ain't going to get the answers you're seeking. Amen? See, a lot of people's not honest about their doubts. They don't want to find truth any more than a thief wants to find a policeman. Right? That's, that's going to be a take-home thing. You, you're going to get that on about halfway home. Oh, yeah. But it's true. You've got to be honest about your doubts. You've got to seek and be ready to find. You've got to knock and be ready for the door to be opened. You've got to ask and be ready to receive. God's not hiding from us. He, he, he's the answer for man's doubt. What are we going to see this morning? We're going to see this morning in John chapter number 5 that Jesus is truly the answer for man's disability. John chapter 5, we're going to start in verse number 1. I'm going to read for you all the way through verse number 18. Then we're going to come back and look at three main points and I'll be done. After this, there was a feast of the Jews and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. 
And there is at Jerusalem by the sheep market a pool, which is called in the Hebrew tongue Bethesda, meaning that uh, having five porches. And Bethesda itself means house of mercy. I love that. And that's what we're about to see. We're about to see a story of the mercy that God bestows on all of us. See, when you study the Word of God, let me tell you what we got to do. First of all, we got to find out what it meant then in context with the group that he was speaking to. Then we need to find out what it means for us now in context where we are. But let me tell you what happens when the Bible truly bursts the flame in your hand. Then you've got to ask yourself, what does this scripture mean to me? How does this apply to my life? How does Bethesda, the house of mercy, apply to me? I hope we can answer that question this morning. Let's go on. Watch what else it says. In these lay a great multitude of impotent folk, of blind, halt, withered, waiting on the uh, moving of the water. For an angel went down at a certain season into the pool and troubled the water. And whosoever then first, after the troubling of the water, stepped in was made whole of whatsoever disease he had. And a certain man was there, which had an infirmity thirty and eight years. He's been this way, he's been this uh, weak um, position for a long time. Verse 6, when Jesus saw him, and he knew that he had been now a long time in that case, he said unto him, Without be made whole. And the impotent man answered him, Sir, I have no man when the water is troubled to put me into the pool. But while I am coming, another steppeth down before me. Jesus said unto him, Rise, take up thy bed, and walk. And immediately the man was made whole, and he took up his bed and walked, and on the same day was the Sabbath. The Jews therefore said unto him that was cured, It is the Sabbath day, it is not lawful for thee to carry thy bed. He answered them, He that made me whole, the same said unto me, Take up thy bed and walk. Let's go on. Then asked they him, What man is that which had said unto thee, Take up your bed and walk? And he and, and he that was healed wist not who it was, for Jesus had conveyed himself away, a multitude being in that place. Now watch this. Afterward Jesus finds him in the temple and said unto him, Behold, thou art made whole, sin no more, lest a worse thing come unto thee. The man departed and told the Jews that it was Jesus which had made him whole, and therefore did the Jews persecute Jesus and sought to slay him, because he had done these things on the Sabbath day. Now I want you to think about that right there just a moment. How backwards thinking do you have to be to understand that Jesus has just healed a man who's been paralyzed for 38 years, but you mad about it because it broke your religious tradition? Isn't that sad? You need to understand this is the same crowd who wanted the uh, body of Jesus taken down off the cross before the Sabbath so that it wouldn't break uh, re religious tradition. Here you have the Son of God, God the Son, hanging on the cross for the sins of all mankind, and they're worried about their religious tradition. Folks, I'm telling you, we still struggle with this stuff today. They missed the whole point. It's not about tradition. It's not about religion. What it is about is relationship with a real God who's still speaking to hearts, changing lives, and helping us overcome the disability that we all have. And we've all got it. Let's keep the main thing the main thing. Let's remember it's about loving people and making a difference in lives. It's about God working on us, working in us, and working through us to accomplish His good will and purpose. And what He cares about more than anything else is human beings. That's who He died for. You know, the only thing eternal is the soul of man. 
This building is not eternal. This building will fall away. Our possessions, they're not eternal. They'll, they'll, they'll fade and fall away. But I'm telling you, the soul of man will spend an eternity somewhere and God's concerned about that. We ought to be concerned about it too. Here you have these people who missed the point. They loved their tradition. They loved their religion. But they missed out on having a real relationship when God's standing right before them. So sad. The man departed and told the Jews that it was Jesus which had made him whole. Verse 16 says, And therefore did the Jews persecute Jesus and sought to slay him because he had done these things on the Sabbath. But Jesus answered them, My father worketh hitherto and I work. And therefore the Jews sought the more to kill him because he not only had broken the Sabbath but said also that God was his father making himself equal with God. Let's pray together. Father, we again love you. Thank you, Lord, for this good day. Thank you for the truth of your word. Lord, I, I'm thankful that you've been with me in my time of preparation. And I ask now, Lord, that you'd be with me in this time of presentation. God, I don't know what people need, but you know. You know the hearts and minds of all men, women, boys, and girls. And Lord, you know exactly what we need here today. So I'm praying that you would have your way and your will. You would do your work. Move me out of the way and use me. These people need not hear what I have to say, Lord. They need to hear straight from you. God, I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would use me as your mouthpiece. Move me behind the cross and use me today for your honor and your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. I remember something that I heard, or that I read, excuse me, um, that G. Campbell Morgan, the great preacher of years ago, said. He said, every lesson that Jesus taught was a miracle of instruction, and that's true. And every miracle that Jesus wrought was a parable of instruction, and he's right on that. This, this really gives us the truth of who God is, who we are, and how much we need Him. Now, I believe this morning that all of us can receive strength like this man received strength. All the way, those many years ago, but, but we've got to do it the same way he did it. Now, I'm not as much talking about physical strength this morning. Listen to me, folks. There's a, a difference in physical weakness and spiritual weakness. There's a difference in realizing uh, what you need from the Lord and, and what we need uh, from, our, from our physical bodies. I'm not as much talking about that what we need physically, but spiritually. I believe that all of us, apart from Christ, have a spiritual disability. If you believe that, say amen. This man is truly a picture of everyone uh, pre-Jesus, before you meet the Lord. It's certainly a picture of where I was. I, I needed him. I had to uh, have his work to be done in my life to fix my situation, to fix my uh, sinful heart, to change the, my mind with the uh, right type of thinking, to do the work in my life, to, to break the, uh, the chains of addiction that had a stronghold and a stranglehold on me. It took the power of God. It took a right relationship with the Lord. So I truly was spiritual spiritually disabled before Christ. And the truth is all of us are. I'm just telling you, I've been right where all of us have been too. We, we, we all find ourselves in need of a Savior, each and every one of us. Now, if we're going to receive the strength that this man received, three things has to take place. First of all, you've got to admit your weakness. You must admit your weakness. Look down at John chapter 5 and verse number 5. And a certain man was there which had an infirmity 30 and 8 years. You'd already got that. He, he's been sick a long time. He's had this... This weakness, a long time, that's what an infirmity is. Verse 7, the impotent man, impotent means he lacks power, he's without power. The powerless man answered him, Sir, I have no man when the water is troubled to put me into the pool, but while I'm coming, another step with them before me. Let me tell you what this brother's doing. He's admitting his weakness before the Lord. 
Now, I'm going to tell you something, folks. There's a lot of people, myself included once upon a time, that had a, a lot of trouble admitting their weakness, admitting their need for the Lord. I remember being there myself. Now, I know what you're thinking. Well, Brother Israel, I'm not weak. I, hey, I lift weights and I go to the gym. I'm not talking about physical weakness. I'm talking about spiritual weakness. Well, Brother Israel, I'm not weak. I, I've got a million dollars in the bank. I'm not talking about financial weakness. I'm talking about spiritual weakness. You say, Brother Israel, I, I'm not uh, weak. I, I've got a PhD. I've got a master's degree. I'm not talking about intellectual weakness. I'm talking about spiritual weakness. And the Bible makes it plain that all of us, apart from Jesus, are weak. Let me tell you what I mean. Romans chapter 5. Everybody look over there with me. Romans chapter 5 and verse number 6. The Bible tells us a great truth here that, man, we, we all need to see it. Look, look what it says. Romans 5, 6. For when we were yet without strength. Amen. When I was without strength, when I didn't have the power to do what needed done. Just like the paralyzed crippled man at the pool of Bethesda. He was weak. He didn't have the power to do what needed to be done. And so what he's saying is, watch this now. When we were yet without strength, in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. Amen. If you believe it, say amen today. All of us, apart from Jesus, are spiritually weak. All of us, apart from Jesus, have a spiritual disability. And I want you to understand that this morning, there's, there's three main points I want you to see about my weakness, your weakness, our weakness that we all struggle with apart from Christ. Let me t say it to you like this. Again, Dr. Rogers, years ago, he was describing um, the, the weakness that we all have. And he used three things that I want to give you today. He said, first of all, there's a primary source of our weakness. And that's true for me, true for you. There's a source of our weakness. What is it? Well, the Bible tells us. John chapter 5 and verse number 14. When Jesus saw the man after he had healed him in the temple. Listen to what he said. Afterward Jesus findeth him in the temple and he said unto him, Behold, thou art made whole. Sin no more, lest the worst thing come unto you. So let me ask you this. What brings spiritual weakness into my life, into your life, into all of our lives? It's nothing other than sin. The Bible says, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Romans 3.23 the, the Bible tells us there is none righteous, not even one. Romans 3 and 10. All of us, because of our sin, have become spiritually disabled. We're what the Bible calls spiritually dead even. Amen. Unable to do for ourselves what we need to do or what we want to do. The primary source of our weakness now, you say, brother, I'm not, not that bad of a person. You don't have to be, quote, unquote, what you consider a bad person to be a sinner. Let me tell you what I mean by that. You came here a sinner. King David said it like this, in sin did my mother conceive me. Everybody that's born in the seed of man is born into sin. We've all got a papa, his name is Adam. He failed God all the way back in the garden. And the sin that he committed became a cancer that was passed down generation to generation to generation all the way down to you and me. So that when we come here, we're born into sin with a sinful nature. Now I'm going to tell you something, folks. For a long time, I had a problem with that. 
Because I always wondered, how can we say that a little bitty baby came here a sinner? <laughs> They're so innocent. They're so beautiful. How can we say that they need a Savior? Well, we can say it because it's true, because the Bible says it. And let me tell you something else. It became real to me when I became a father. When, when, when I, I held that baby in my arms for the first time, I loved that girl with everything in me, and I still do. I'll never forget it. That's been, seven, uh, eight, well, how old is she? 17. Thank you. Seven, 17 years ago, I held her in my arms for the first time, and I instantly fell in love with that kid. And I thought, man, it can't get any better than this. This is the most perfect thing I've ever had in my arms. Allow me to quote Dr. Tony Evans. He always says it like this. He said he found out the longer their legs got, the shorter their angel wings got. I began to see I didn't have to teach them how to be selfish. I didn't have to teach my kids how to lie to me. They came here knowing how to lie to me. I got to teach them how to tell the truth. Right? I, I don't have to teach them to, to hit their brother or their sister. They came here knowing how to do that. I, I didn't have to teach them to do any of that stuff. Why? Because they were born into sin, just like you were. Just like I, I was. And that creates for us a great problem. That sin is what separates us from God who is holy. God is righteous and holy and just. We are not. There's none righteous, no, not one. You say, oh, Brother Israel, I, 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 listen, I pay my taxes and I'm a good citizen and I help little old ladies across the street and I come to church when I can and I put $20 in the offering plate. I'm a pretty good guy. Listen to me. Your righteousness and my righteousness is just not enough. When you put it up next to the standard of God's holiness, I can't do enough and you can't either. We cannot make ourselves right with God. Because of our sin, we're separated from Him. That's the primary source. But now let me give you the next one. This is kind of where I'm headed. I want you to also see the paralyzing force of your sin. What does sin do? Well, the Bible tells us, Romans chapter 5 and verse number 6, the end of that verse that we just read, when we were yet without strength in due time, Christ died for who? Let me tell you what sin causes. It causes a great problem for us, but because then I'm not able to be godly. Amen? The sin that I'm born in, the sinful nature that I have, the sins that I choose to do. Matter of fact, the sins that sometimes pass through my thinking. I told you before, I'm going to keep telling you because it's the truth. My thoughts alone are enough to send me to hell, to separate me from God. Matter of fact, if I could take my thoughts and somehow put them on that screen for you, you probably wouldn't let me preach next Sunday. However, if I could take your thoughts and put them on that screen, I'd have a whole lot more to preach about. Truth is, we're all in the same boat here. Sin disables us from living godly, no matter how much we try in our power. You say, oh, but Brother Israel, you don't, I mean, I may not be perfect, but I'm not as bad as the guy down the road that 
He's mean to his family. Got a problem with drugs and alcohol. I, I may not be bad, but I'm not that bad. And see, we try to justify our self-righteousness by looking around at everybody else. Listen. What someone else is doing or not doing has no bearing on my relationship to God who is holy. The standard for me being righteous or unrighteous, godly or ungodly, is not what everybody else has done or hadn't done. The standard for me being righteous or unrighteous, godly or ungodly, is the truth of God's Word. Because it's perfect. It's absolute. Matter of fact, Isaiah 64 and 6 says that our righteousnesses or the good things that we do are like filthy rags when you put them up next to God's standard. Hey, he's not talking about the quote-unquote bad stuff we do. He's talking about the good stuff, the righteousness, the righteous things that, that we try to do. They're like those filthy rags. Those rags are the pus-stained rags that they would wrap around the, the, the arms of a leper. And Isaiah is saying, your righteousness before God's standard measures up to about those filthy rags. Sin has a paralyzing force on all of us. But now let me, let, let, me, let me give you this one. You need to see the primary source of your disability, the paralyzing force of your disability, but also see this now. Notice the course of your disability. Go back to John chapter 5. John chapter 5. And um, down at verse number 7. The Bible says that this man had been there for 38 years. Or at least been in this shape for 38 years. I don't know how long he had been waiting to get in the pool. 38 years. This man is paralyzed. For 38 years, he's struggling. For 38 years, he's not gotten better, but gotten worse. How do I know that? I know that because I know a little bit about what happens to muscles when you don't use them. I was um, talking with a good friend of mine who had had some surgery a few months back. And I went over to his house to check on him, was sitting there just talking about what he had been through and everything that was going on. And he said, man, I, I want to show you what's happening here. And he, he, he wasn't able to get up and move like he wanted, like he used to, because he had had some surgery on his, on his knee. And he pulled back the covers while he was sitting in, in the recliner there. And one leg was about a quarter the size of the other one. What the muscles had done was atrophied. See, when you don't use them, they begin to waste away. So I want you to imagine what this man looked like when Jesus found him. I want you to imagine the shape he was in year after year after year after year dealing with this disability. He wasn't getting better. He was getting worse. Now let me tell you what the lie of the enemy is. The enemy says that we can do our own thing to make ourselves better. 
Matter of fact, the enemy wants to make us believe as long as we can get better education, we can be better people. We are probably the most educated we've ever been. Let me ask you this. Spiritually speaking, are we better or worse? Not that I'm against education. I think you ought to get all you can get. That's, a, that's not a bad thing. That's a good thing. I'm just saying education is not the answer when it comes to the spiritual disability that we all have. Matter of fact, education for a man who's spiritually dead will just make mean people better capable of doing bad things. Are you getting me? The answer is not education. Well, a lot of people say, well, it's social reform. I tell you what we need, we need more social programs. Let me ask you this. We've got more social programs today than ever before. Let me ask you, are we better or worse off, spiritually speaking? The answer is not in how you can get educated. The answer is not in, in social reform and government programs to make people better. Let me tell you what the answer is for man's disability. It's Jesus. If he, he changes you from the inside out. He changes how you believe. You want me to tell you the cure for racism? Jesus, the gospel. You know what? I could care less what a man's skin color is because I realize the only color that matters is red. That's the blood that was shed for all of us. Are you getting me? The cure for racism is Jesus. The cure for homelessness is Jesus. The cure for, for, for uh, uh, um, um, divorce is Jesus. The cure for, you name it. What's plaguing our people? What's plaguing our nation? What's plaguing our world? What's plaguing you? I you, I'm telling you, the answer is Jesus. And you can try all you want to do it your way. You can try all you want to fix yourself and to make yourself better and buy all the self-help books you can read. But I'm going to tell you, what we all need is Jesus. He makes all the difference. He's the answer to the disability that we all have. You need to see the, first of all, folks, you got to admit your weakness, the primary source, the paralyzing force, and the course that our weakness brings. But now listen to me, folks. You've also, if you're going to receive strength like this man receives strength, you got to admit your weakness, but you got to activate your will. Jesus asked the man, he said, will you be made whole? It's a question. How many of you know the man could have said no? Let me make this clear to you, as clear as I can. God will enable you to trust Him. He will. He'll give you faith to trust Him. But let me tell you this. He will not coerce you to trust Him. He'll enable you. He'll give you truth and the person of the Holy Spirit to draw you unto Himself. But He will not coerce you. He'll draw you. You said, brothers, you believe that, that we can reject God's um, offer of salvation? Absolutely. It's all throughout Scripture. You remember when King Agrippa was there and Paul was preaching to him the gospel. Paul was standing before King Agrippa, sharing his testimony, sharing about Jesus. King Agrippa looked at Paul and he said, Paul, thou, you have almost persuaded me to become a Christian. I'll tell you what I believe was happening that day. I believe God was blessing his word as Paul spoke it. I believe God was blessing the message with his presence. See, when we preach God's word, that coupled with the power of the Holy Spirit is what changes hearts and changes lives. Here you have Paul standing before King Agrippa 
Agrippa, sharing the truth of the gospel message. The person of the Holy Spirit, I believe, was convicting that man's heart. And he said, you've almost persuaded me. I see it all the time. I never forget years ago, man, I was preaching at a church down in Lamar County. And Sunday in, Sunday out, there'd be a man sitting in the back, tears streaming down his face. I knew the Lord was all over him. I saw that look on him because that's the look I used to have. His heart was broken on the inside, and I could tell God was dealing with him. And he would sit there with tears streaming down his straight face, and he would just grip that pew until it was white knuckled, just like that. You could see the white in his knuckles. And time upon time upon time, he rejected the drawing of the Holy Spirit. You must activate your will. Now, I know what a lot of people think. Brothers, if you believe in the sovereignty of God, you can't believe in the free will of man. Why not? A lot of people think that the, if you believe in the free will of man, that somehow that negates the sovereignty of God. No, it doesn't, because the Bible teaches both. Side by side, right through Scripture. Yeah, God, the Bible teaches God is sovereign. How many of y'all believe that this morning? Let me tell you something else. The Bible also teaches, Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved, Romans 10, 13. The Bible also says, John 3, 16, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believes on Him shall not perish but have everlasting life. What I'm telling you is, yeah, I believe in the sovereignty of God, but I also believe in the free will of men because God's Word teaches both. I heard a story one time about a bunch of Baptist preachers sitting around talking, sharing their thoughts on theology, and when they were talking, discussion, he can allow more than twigs. Jesus said, will you be made holy? He said, yes, that's what I want. When he activated his will, then he walked his walk. Let me tell you something. It's time for us. Who've admitted our weakness and activated our will and put our trust in Jesus as Savior. It's time for us to walk our walk. Amen. time for us to love God and love people. It's time for us to get out of our comfort zone and let God be God. It's time for us to quit trying to keep God in the box. It's time for Trust to simply give God what we've got.
sin debt at the cross. He took your sin and now he'll give you his righteousness if you'll trust him. If you'll trust him. But now that's not the whole story. Let's go to Ephesians 2.10. Watch. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. You know what he's talking about? Walking you walk. We're his workmanship. There was once a great carpenter who built this chair. And he built it for a purpose, didn't he? And so far, so good, it's holding up to its end of the bargain. It was created for a reason. Listen to me, child of God. 
We have all been created for a purpose. And that purpose is to know God and make Him known. That's your purpose. That's my purpose. And what a joy it is that God allows us to know Him. And He allows us the privilege of making Him known in a lost and dying world. How are we going to make Him known? We're going to make Him known with our lips? Yeah, we're going to tell people about Jesus, how good He's been to us. Yeah, we do it with our lips, but let me tell you this. We do it with our lives. Day by day, we do it with our lives. If we do it with our lives, I can promise you, that's going to open up all kinds of doors for you to speak with your lips. But you've got to walk your walk. You've got to live it out. And by God's power, we can do that. Everybody stand together this morning. This time is your invitation to make the decision you need to make with the Lord. One of my favorite preachers is a man by the name of Ronnie Barefield. I love that brother. I can remember him always saying, he'd always say, somebody needs to do business with God. Because that's really what you do. Somebody this morning may need to do business with God as far as salvation is concerned. You need to activate your will and trust in Christ as Savior. You need to admit your weakness, activate your will. That, that, that's the first step. That's becoming born again. That's God taking care of your spiritual disability. That's God doing what only He can do, taking your sin, forgiving your sin, causing you to become new in Christ. If that's you today, you know you've not yet trusted in Jesus, or if there's any question in your mind whether or not you've trusted in Jesus, if God the Holy Spirit it's tugging at your heart. That's the best way I know to describe it. That's what happened with me. God began showing me my sin, showing me my need for a Savior, and I had an insatiable desire to learn more about the Lord. And God was just, man, continually, steadily, lovingly, powerfully drawing me unto Himself. Maybe that's you. Maybe God's been drawing you for a long time. Why not today? Why not today? He's not hiding from you. He loves you. The same strength that that man received all those years ago, you can receive if you'll trust him. Now, some of you have trusted him, and you know it. You know you've been born again. Let me ask you, are you walking your walk? Do people at your workplace see Jesus in you? Do people in your home see Jesus in you? Do people at the grocery store and the ball game see Jesus in you? Or is this just something you do on Sunday? If that's all it is, folks, you're missing out on so much of what God's got for you. And you have to question, is this really the real thing? He's more than just God on Sunday. He's God on Monday. He's more than just God in this house. He's got to be God at my house. Are we walking the walk? Are we living it out? By God's power, we can. They just want to come and talk things over with the Lord. You want to pray for a lost loved one, lost friend, whatever you need today. This altar is open, and I'd love to pray with you. I'm here for you. If I can help you, that's what I want to do. It's always my privilege to pray for you. Whatever you need this morning, won't you come? Yes. Yes.
and sought to slay him because he had done these things on the Sabbath day. But Jesus answered them, My father worketh hitherto, and I work. Therefore the Jews sought the more to kill him, because he not only had broken the Sabbath, but had said also that God was his father, making himself equal with God. If you ever hear anybody say, Jesus never claimed to be God, you know they've never read the New Testament. You certainly know they've never read John chapter 5 and verse number 18. And the verses prior to that. My point is this. Jesus came to this earth as the God-man. God incarnate in flesh. To do for man what man can't do for themselves. I invite you to trust Him. To seek Him. To ask and receive. To knock and let the door be opened. He's not hiding from us. John said, he that was from the beginning, I heard him with my ears. I saw him with my eyes. My hands have handled the very word of life. I'm telling you, Jesus is the answer for our disability. You can trust him. I love you. Have you enjoyed being in God's house today? <laughs> I've enjoyed being with you, every one of you. Come back and be with us tonight, 6 o'clock. We're doing chosen small groups tonight. Chosen episode 7, and what we do, we just watch the... Watch the episode, and then we're going to have a time of discussion after that, and I always enjoy that time. That's my favorite, when we can kind of bounce ideas and questions off one another and um, learn and grow, grow together. That's what this is all about. So that'll be tonight at 6 o'clock. Also remember, next week, very special service. Man, I'm so thankful this year we're able to have Easter service. If there's one thing I missed, it was Easter service last week. There is nothing like being in church with the people of God on Easter Sunday morning. Man, when you're with God's people in God's presence at that special time celebrating the greatest event in the history of the universe, it's a powerful thing. Man, I cannot wait for Easter Sunday next uh, Sunday. So listen, we always get up early around here for Easter Sunday because he got up early. Can you say amen? And so what we're going to do, guys, I'm going to ask you to just hang out after church uh, just, a, just a moment before we leave for all of our men. We're going to come and cook breakfast next Sunday morning starting at 8 o'clock, all right? So, uh, guys, if you'd like to be a part of that, and I hope you do, um, we, we try to do this at least once a year. Our, our ladies around here do such a great job of, of always feeding us, so we want to kind of return the favor and feed them at least one week, and I love doing it on Easter Sunday. So what we'll do is uh, feed breakfast next Sunday morning. We'll come and cook at 8. We'll have Easter communion starting at 9.30, all right? And then um, directly following Easter communion, we'll go back and eat breakfast, that we've cooked, we came and cooked at 8, and then we'll come right back in here at 11 for our Sunday morning worship time, okay? So you come at 9.30 next week, all of you come at 9.30, you ain't going to miss nothing. And guys, again, if you will please, let's come at 8 next week and we'll get everything cooked and ready for when everybody gets here, okay? So uh, men, let me meet with you right up here just a moment before you go. If there's nothing else... Remember to pray for my wife and my babies. They're coming home today from the beach. I know that we've got several uh, families out today at the beach. And so pray for their well-being and their travel safety. And the Lord brings them in safe and sound. And um, be good to be back with them next week. So uh, if there's nothing else. Is that no, Sunday school? no Sunday school next Sunday. Yeah, no Sunday school next Sunday. Communion at 930. We'll eat breakfast together, then right back into worship. And we'll be done for the day. We'll not be having evening services next Sunday night. All right? If there's nothing else, Steve Davis, dismiss us, please.